turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We've made it. We're at the end of yet another series out of another book of the Bible. If you're new to Village Bible Church, this is what we do. We start at the beginning of one of the books of the Bible and verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, we work through it. And we are now at chapter 12 of this fall series that we have called The Good Life. And we have picked up this book that uh, King Solomon has written, this regretful and remorseful king who for the last 11 chapters has in essence told us that his life was filled with foolishness. And he has observed life that he wasn't the only one who lived foolishly. In fact, we all, apart from God, will live foolishly and pursue the things of this world instead of pursuing our Creator. And what he has in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is that he has saved the best for last. And, and we do that as human beings. Uh, let's face it, musicians leave their best, most favorite and famous of songs to the end of the concert. Firework presenters make sure that there's always at the last moment the grand finale. Uh, we watch TV and, and we stick with shows to get to the season ending show. Uh, we, we do it when we watch sports. Who cares what happens in the first and second quarter? We want to know what happens in the last moments of the game. That's going to define the win or loss. We do it in relationships where many times often the most impactful of words we share is when we're saying our goodbyes. We save the best for last. And for the last 11 chapters, Solomon has proven his singular assessment when it comes to life here on earth. He has said that to live foolishly is to pursue the things of this world. And sadly, some of you find yourselves living there today, thinking that there's enough pleasure, prestige, possessions, enough parties in this world to satisfy you and bring you the fulfillment that your longing heart is looking for. And Solomon says, been there done that and he articulates a phrase that he will articulate now 79 times in this book it is vanity all is vanity or it's meaningless and friends you and I need to understand this truth today living your life apart from God is a vain experience it is a meaningless purposely purposelessness endeavor and Solomon comes and he says I have proven this over and over again you want the good life you want what God intended the good life to be then you need to live with him in mind. Notice what he says at the end of this book in verse 13 of chapter 12. Here is the end of the matter. All has been heard. All's been said. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Do you want to know why you were created? Do you want to know why you're here on this earth? Do you want to know why you are where you are today, doing what you are doing, living life with who you're living life with? The answer is this, so that you might fear God and you might keep his commands because that is our duty here on earth. That is it. 
We were created to fear God, to obey his commands, and to do that as our duty. Here's the problem. Since the Garden of Eden, we have said, no, God, we will not do that. We will go it on our own. And so with the words that we have left in this incredible book, Solomon says there are three things that we should not do in order to not live lives of foolishness. Let's look at them quickly this morning. Number one, don't forget, don't forget to take God with you. Don't forget to take God with you. My wife and I are living in the chapter of our lives where there, we have a house of teenagers. One in college, two in high school. And in the comings and goings of our teenage boys' lives, it is altogether a common occurrence for Amanda and I to be uttering out litany of warnings, commands, encouragements, reminders, expectations as they're leaving the door. Whether they're going to school, going out to church, going with friends, whatever they're doing, whether they're near or far, there's always this litany of things as they are leaving. And the reason why we want them to hear those things, it is our hope, and I would imagine for many of you parents it's the same thing, it is your hope that your kids will take you with you, right? So you're uttering these things and you're saying in essence, take me with you. Now, we don't want to go with them. What we want to go with them are our words of wisdom. Here's what Solomon is saying. I want you, in my closing statements, to remember to take God with you. I want you to take special note to the first word in our text. Remember. Remember. This is where our English translations sometimes fail to uh, fully uh, help us understand the full-orbed nature of the Hebrew word in front of us. Solomon uses this word in the Hebrew that is translated remember, and for us, as we read it, remember means keep it in the back of our heads. Well, that's not what I want my kids to do with my commands and exhortations. I want them in the front of their heads, not in the back of their heads. I don't want it to be a memory of theirs. I want them to take it with them, that it goes before them. And this is what this word remember is in the Hebrew. Literally, what Solomon is saying is, you are to remember, that is to regard God for who he is and respond to him in a way that is fitting to him. Now we did that this morning already. We sang a song, we sang a lot of songs, but we sang a particular song this morning, and it was all about Jesus, and about the attributes of Jesus. Here is this Jesus, and we're extolling this Jesus. He is God. He has the most beautiful name. Uh, he is exalted. He is great. He is wonderful. But that regard moved to a response. It moved to an ideal. It moved to a purpose statement. It moved to a point of action. There's a reprise in the song that after talking about the excellencies of Jesus, we exclaim this, you have no rival. You have no equal. Forever you, God, God you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. 
And we go on. And what it is is as we regard God for who he is, it will lead us to respond. This is what Solomon wants us to do, that we recognize who God is. And as we recognize who God is, it changes how we go about living life. So here's the dichotomy. In verse 1, we are introduced again to God, our creator. Then you go down to verse 7, and you are reintroduced to you and I. Notice God, our creator, that's high. And notice the depths of which we go. We are dust, and we will like dust return to the dust where we came. Wait a minute. The dichotomy is God is infinite, immeasurable, almighty, and powerful, omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent in every way, in every place, at every time. And we are lowly. We are finite. We are the dust of the ground. And it was God who created us, who took up the dust of the earth in his hands and blew into it life. And from those specks of dust, you and I are here. So if we are low and God is high, then surely he should hold the highest place in all of our lives. If we are low and he is high, then would it not be of great wisdom for us to take that infinite God wherever we go? Is it not foolishness for us to try to live this life apart from the God who created us? And so here we have this God. This God who created us, who knows us better than ourselves. This God who knows things about you that you don't know about yourself. The one who knit you together in your mother's womb, who allows every circumstance to befall you. This God who knows the number of hairs on your head and has numbered your days, this God, the creator God, listen to me, deserves first place in your life. He demands first place in your life. And the reason why is we're nothing and he's everything. And so Solomon kicks off this last chapter and he says this, friends. He says, you take God wherever you go. A fool lives life on his own. A wise man takes the infinite creator God with him. That means with every dollar he spends, God goes before him. With every word he shares, God goes before him. With every hour of work that he dispenses, God goes with him. When he goes to school, God goes with him. When he's at work or at play, God goes with him. In the good, the bad, and ugly of life, God goes with him. And God is the one who leads us and guides us every step of the way. The world says there is no God, and it utters in that very sense the foolishness of it because it disregards the creator who created them. And so we need to recognize, we need to take God with us. Now the answer, or the question is why? Why do we need to take God with us? And he doubles down. Notice in verses one through eight, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent 
and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the streets are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of the song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and the tares are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the street. Before the silver cord is snapped, and the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. What in the world is Solomon talking about? Here's what Solomon's doing. Solomon is saying, you need your creator God with you. And, and here's why. Notice he says in verse 1 that the days of your youth if you've got your Bible you should underline the days of your youth he does not say in the years of your youth because youth is that short lived right it's days it's days for the young people in here you think your youth will last forever it will go like a twinkling of an eye you soon will like all of us be old and in the days of old you will learn to say of all the days I find no pleasure in them because there's going to be issues and struggles. And, and now he now works through a litany of the struggles of growing old. Let me just walk through them very quickly for you. In verses 2 through 7, he says, here's the description of life. Youth is fleeting. You're going to fade. You're going to start to break down. Verse 2, life is going to be filled with troubles. He talks about darkness and rain. And this is the body breaking down. In verse 3, he says, your strength is going to leave you. He speaks of the keepers of the house in verse 3, trembling, and the strong men being bent. They're hunchbacked. Their backs don't work as well because of the years of, of labor that those backs have seen. Uh, in in uh, verse uh, uh, 3, it goes on, and it says, you're not going to grind your teeth, and the reason why? You'll have no teeth. There's nothing left. Your teeth are going to fall out, so you don't have to worry about grinding them anymore. Your eyes are going to be like dimmed windows. You're not going to be able to see. Your hearing is going to be so bad that you're not going to hear the knocking on the door. In verse 4, you're not going to be able to sleep because the slightest song of a bird is going to wake you. How many old people have trouble sleeping? We're there. We struggle with that. Young people, they sleep like no, no trouble at all. We won't have the lung capacity even if we wanted to sing. Anxiety will rise because we are so frail. The one things that we once did, we won't take the chance of doing them again. I, I, I hear this with older people in our congregation. Uh, a lot of our older small groups meet during the day. And you'll ask, why do you meet during the day? And, and the response is this across the board. We don't want to drive at night. Well, what's wrong with driving at night? I drive at night all the time. Well, when you get older, 
Driving at night becomes more precarious. Number one, your eyesight's not as great. Number two, there's a lot more desolation at night. People aren't around. The senses don't work as well at night. And let's just be honest, when you're older and frail, you don't want to be caught out in the middle of the dark. So the things you once did that you never thought about had a second thought too. Now you're worried about and anxiety fills you. He goes on, he says, in old age, you're like a tree in the fall that all its leaves fall except your leaves don't fall out. Your hair does. He says, you're like a crippled grasshopper. You once jumped great heights and now you limp along. And then he goes and he even says here, and it's hard to see in the text, but in the Hebrew, literally your sexual appetite that once burned with passion is gone. The body doesn't work like it used to. And after all of this takes place, you die. This is life. So enjoy the handful of days in your youth, and then all these hard things are going to come, and then you're going to die, and you're going to return to your Creator. And so the whole issue here is this. We are finite. We are flawed. We are broken. We are small. And God is there, and our job is to take him wherever we go. Amen? Number two, Solomon finishes this by saying, don't fight losing battles. Don't fight a losing battle. Verses 9 through 12. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. What Solomon says is this. Listen, I've got the credentials to write this book. I'm wise. Now we could take that as boastful. Just, it's a parent saying, just trust me. I know what I'm talking about. And so he says, I've taken careful consideration of these words. These words are true. I've judged these words, and these words are true. And, And this is what he's saying. After careful consideration, he's talking. He says, my son, to someone younger than him, he says this, don't make the same mistakes I did. Parents, isn't this how we are in all of our parenting? We don't want to see our children fall to the same traps we did. We don't want to see our children get into the same problems that we did, make the same mistakes that that we did. And so we train and we teach and we give wisdom. Don't, Don't go that way. It's no good. It's not going to work for you. In there is foolishness and folly. And so at the heart of parenting, this is what we do. And so we give words of wisdom. Notice what he says the words of the wise, verse 11, are goads. What's a goad? A goad in the Old Testament was this long uh, stick that at the end of it had a a piece of bone or or a a piece of a sharp metal or a rock that was tied to it. And so uh, the guy that was dealing with livestock or animals would take this long stick with this little poker at the end of it and he would prod them keep going, keep moving. I need you to keep moving the plow or moving the wagon. Keep going. I I want you to continue your progress. Don't stop. 
Wisdom is that poker that says, keep going, keep doing what you're supposed to. Here is the problem. The animals hate the prodding. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 9, on his journey to Damascus, Saul sees Jesus. And the risen Jesus says to Saul, Saul, why are you kicking at the goads? You see, Jesus was prodding Saul, and Saul, like a rebellious animal, was kicking back at the guy, saying, cut that out. Stop doing that. I don't like that. Here's why. I don't want to do what you want me to do. And, and we see that. Listen, in today's, it's all teenagers. This is where I'm living right now. Just uh, the other night, my middle son comes to me and he says, hey dad, a couple of our friend, friends are getting together at so-and-so's house. Can I go? And I'm looking at the time. I'm like, okay, it's kind of late. I'm like, well, who's going to be there? He starts listing people. Well, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and my, my mom. His mom and I are starting to count. We're 10, 12, 82, 83, 84. <laughs> this isn't a get-together. This is a party, okay? So where a party now is at, and questions come. Are mom and dad's there? Yeah, 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 they're there. Okay, what's going to be there? Is there going to be alcohol there? Uh, dad, you know what? Don't worry about it, Dad. It, 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 okay? It's just a group of people getting together. And Okay, you know if... If there's anything that we're not okay with, you need to find an excuse to get out of there. I know, Dad, you don't need to tell me this twice. <laughs> He's kicking at the goats. I don't need to hear it, Dad. And, and, and he leaves, and my response is, Did you see those faces? A man's like, Yeah. What is he thinking? We're just trying to be his parents. And, and here's what's going to happen. If you get caught with this and get caught with that, you're going to disappoint us, of course, which is going to come with consequences and all that. Yeah, I know, I know. Those same responses and those same faces which are new to us as parents are new because we couldn't see those faces when we did it to the old people in our lives when we were young. And so it is by nature that when wisdom comes, we kick at the one who's dispensing it. And God says, you're a fool. Here I'm giving you wisdom, and you're kicking it away. You're making faces. You're getting angry because here is wisdom before you. I'm gifting it to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. He gives it generously without finding fault, the book of James says. And here we are. And we're kicking at it all the time. So notice what he says. He says, stop kicking at these things. These prods are for your good. And notice when you apply wisdom at the end of verse 11, you, it is like putting down nails firmly fixed. The picture there is you're setting up a tent and you stake down your tent. You weigh it down. Why? Because at some point the winds of life are going to come and take your tent and fly it away. And so wisdom is staking it down so that when trouble and turmoil comes your way, you are firmly fitted, you are firmly established, you are rooted. And here's the reason why. Because the life of the wise, verse 10 says, will find delight. You'll find delight. How many of us old people here, how many of us in our lives as old people would say the foolish decisions we made didn't bring delight. 
the heartache and the pain and how we wish we could tell this younger generation what the older generation told of us and we didn't listen. If you would just listen to wisdom, listen, here's what every generation tells the other generation. Without wisdom, you're fighting a losing battle. And some of us right now are fighting a losing battle. You're fighting a losing battle in your marriages. You're fighting a losing battle in your parenting. You're fighting a losing battle with your money. You're fighting a losing battle in your relationships, at your work, at your school. You're fighting a losing battle. And here's why. Because you consider foolishness more important than wisdom. And you're kicking at it. And God says, I want you to be firmly established so that when trouble comes, you don't fly away. Number three. Solomon closes and saves the best for last by telling us, don't fear anything but God. Don't fear anything but God. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Solomon closes out this book and he answers every foolish thought of men and women. What is the chief end of man? To fear God. To fear God. But the problem is, is we fear everything else. Let me give you three things that we fear very quickly. Number one, we fear outcomes more than God. We fear outcomes more than God. Some of you, and I say this with all grace and sincerity, some of you fear and your anxiety rules the day. And the reason why is your anxiety and worry are about the what-ifs of life. Listen to me very, very carefully. Every anxiety or every anxious thought and every worried thought comes from a place of what-if. What-if. Can we be reminded that instead of fearing the what-ifs in life, we would, we would fear the God who says there are no what-ifs. Did you hear that? Instead of fearing and being filled with anxiety about the what-ifs of life, fear the God who says there are no what-ifs. Every circumstance, listen, this book tells us over and over again, every circumstance we face is under the control of God himself. Nothing that will ever come to your life. Listen, this, you need this on a Tuesday morning when the world caves in. Whatever comes your way has happened under the express written consent of God himself. So if God is in it, then we have nothing to be anxious about. And that is why Jesus says, be anxious for nothing. But instead, pray to the God whom you fear. Because he is not a God of what ifs. Don't fear outcomes, fear God. Number two, don't fear obstacles of life. So we fear the what ifs that come true. Bad medical news. Runaway kids. Issues at work. Death of a loved one. And these times of trouble that come our way, and Solomon has said they will come our way, and we fear them, and, and we need to be reminded of what Paul tells us in the book of Romans, that no matter what happens to us, that all things happen for our good. Even the bad things. Even the ugly things. And so we fear the God who says, I take the worst situations from an earthly perspective and bring heavenly meaning to them. Amen? 
Finally, we fear others over God. People's opinions, their thoughts. When we're younger, we call it peer pressure. When we're older, we call it codependency. We strive to be faithful to people. We make, we make sure we fulfill commitments to people. We try to please people. One of my favorite books I ever read is When People Are Big and God Is Small. What a great title. And some of us this morning are living in a world where people are big and our God is small. Because we've elevated people and their opinions and thoughts of us instead of God. And so outcomes should never trump God. Obstacles in life should never trump God. Others should never trump God. And here's why. God alone. Notice what he says. For God. Not outcomes. Not obstacles. Not others. But God alone will bring every deed, excuse me, deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Why do we fear God? Why do we revere God? Why do we respect God? Why do we put God as the first and foremost in our lives? Because when your eyes close for the very last time and you return to the earth, the text says you will return to your creator. And you will stand before your creator and maybe the people around you didn't know how you were living. Maybe they didn't see all that you were doing in private and in secret. But God does. And God says, I'm going to unveil every one of those things. And that's why Jesus says, don't fear the person who can kill you with the sword. Fear the one who can consign you to hell. And so we need to fear God. And fearing God is simply this. Revering and respecting God to a place that you'll obey whatever he says. So if you want to know you're fearing God, look back to last week and say, did I take God with me every place I went? Did God uh, redirect my thinking, my priorities, my commitments? Was God the priority in my checkbook and in my calendar and in my conversation? Or was something else? And so it leaves us with, and here's the whole thing, verse 14 of Ecclesiastes 12 leaves us to where the whole book started, and that was for you and I to evaluate if we are living foolishly or wise. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. It's our week to celebrate communion here as a church. Each month we do this, and what a fitting place for us to stop this series and to be reminded that Wisdom came personified in Jesus Christ. He is the wisdom of heaven. And he came. And what did we do with the wisdom of heaven? In foolishness, we rebelled against it. But God, in his great love and mercy for us, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross that the fools of this world could be made wise through his sacrifice.